Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day. Spring has definitely sprung here in Boulder. It is warming up out there. Though whether we have another snowstorm in late May is questionable. Actually, um, Tim and I live in a home that was built in the 1960s that does not have air conditioning. Um, and we were thinking about how we're going to manage the heat this year because we won't be up in the mountains all summer like last year. So during this conversation, it made me think of today's guest, Sarah Clarkson, the founder of Transients, a trendy bag company based in New York City. Um, and the reason I thought of her was because at one point in the interview, which you're going to hear in a second, um, she's talking about her path towards starting her brand. Um, and here's kind of how she phrased it. She said, one day she sat shivering in an office doing design work for another company and making them lots of money. And she just realized, I no longer want to be at the mercy of someone else's air conditioning. And I just love that statement. I thought maybe I should title the episode that statement, but it really didn't make a whole lot of sense. No one wants to be at the mercy of someone else's air conditioning. Uh, there are definitely moments in our lives when it's time for us to take control and make changes. I came to meet Sarah through a really cool marketing campaign they're running called, it's a hashtag, what's in her bag? I didn't realize until they reached out that I had still been using my diaper bag from 2011 as my gym bag. So I was very psyched. Um, definitely time to upgrade. A little cool factor. I needed it. Uh, so here's the thing. She's actually going to give all of you a really cool discount, 30% off. So you want to head over to her website, The Transients, T-R-A-N-S-I-E-N-C-E, thetransients.com, and use the code uh, Nicole30 on something awesome. I have a swing bag. It's really cool. You'll see them on there. I love it. It's simple, streamlined, it's functional. Um, by the way, on the podcast, I think I gave the website wrong and called it transients.com, which I haven't even looked up, but who knows what that website's all about. But her website is thetransients.com, so make sure you note that. Um, I love supporting entrepreneurs, especially women who are creating something. Sarah Clarkson is definitely a creator with her own unique path to her purpose today. I will also get her on in just a sec, but before I do, I want to make sure I share with you another amazing company that also has a unique path to its purpose today. It's called Skirt Sports. Um, I started Skirt Sports in 2004 because I literally wanted something that was cute and covered my butt on the run because back in the day, we did triathlons and swimsuits. Skirt Sports has been around for over 14 years and it's been so incredibly rewarding to steer the skirt ship. 
Today, I'm so proud to say that we are the most inclusive, accepting brand in the women's athletic market. I was on a hike with Tim yesterday on Mother's Day, and a woman shouted, I know who you are. You're the incredible Nicole Boom. I love everything you do for women. These days, I find myself shopping by body, not by style. It's just easier. Your, your brand shows me that all bodies can do amazing things. It was so cool. And I will admit that I am sometimes recognized on trails around Boulder, but I had never heard that before. What she said to me was new. I hadn't thought about it that way, but it's exactly what we set out to do many years ago when I realized that so many women were feeling excluded in this crazy women's athletic world. Um, And I wanted to create something where they could shop by body, basically, but we didn't feel like we could say that out loud. But now I'm thinking we should say that because she told me that. So anyway, I'm happy to point you over to skirtsports.com to shop by body. Find the look that resonates with you and the styles that are on bodies that you feel like you can relate with. Um, And use the code RUN20 for 20% off skirtsports.com. Okay, back to the show. Now that you're all totally pumped up, um, let's hear from first-time podcast guest. Yes, that's right. It's her first pod interview ever, Sarah Clarkson of Transients. I'm really excited to have you on. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy day. Well, thanks for having me. This is really awesome. I'm very ex- I'm excited to be a first-time podcaster with you. <laughs> yes, I love yeah, taking people you. through their first time. <laughs> okay, this is not that kind of show. Let's um let's uh let's share with everybody how it is we came to connect. Do you remember? Um did Irene reach out to you? Yes. So you okay. have built a really great little team in New York and um, your person who handles marketing and other affairs reached out to me. So maybe uh, maybe you can start by telling a little bit about what you do. Sure. Um, well, we are, uh, we make sort of trendy bags for the gym and sort of, um, travel and uh, other everyday occasions. Um, we're a small team. We're all women at the moment, not really on purpose, just that's how it worked out. Um, we like guys too. <laughs> um, and Irene is our marketing director and that's, she's the, she's the person that, that connected us. Um, uh, we are based in New York, but People are sort of scattered around the world at this point. Our production and our manufacturing is in Thailand. So my production manager is out there this month. Um, And yeah, they're just a small team of of people making it happen in New York City. (laughs) Well, and you decidedly don't sound like you have an American accent. (laughs) So let's start from kind of a little further back than that. Um, what is your heritage? Where'd you grow up? So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm from England. I've been in uh, the U.S. for probably 15 years or something, uh, maybe a bit longer than that. I went to college in Columbus, Ohio. That's, uh, that's why I'm here in the first place. Um, but I grew up in England, um, uh, in, in a bunch of different places, actually, mostly in the south of England. Um, and yeah, my dad lives in Columbus, Ohio, 
so that's why I moved to America in the first place to kind of get to know him a bit better and go to college. Um, and then after college, I moved to New York. Um, I just sort of, <laughs> Ohio was getting a little, a little slow for me. I wanted to sort of find a place that, that I could sort of grow in rather than um, stay in, in, in Columbus. Well, I think a lot of our listeners may understand the Columbus to New York situation, but uh-huh. I'm not sure how many people have lived or traveled to England. So maybe uh, share a little more about like what kind of town you grew up in and, you know, what was your childhood like? Sure. Um, so I grew up mostly in a small village that's sort of north of London by 70 miles. Um it's one of those places where everyone knows you, or it used to be. I think it's got, gotten a bit, bit bigger now. I think <laughs> I've got um, two siblings that are uh, a brother and a sister um, that are seven and eight years younger than me. And, and I think when they were growing up in the same village, might not have been quite as uh, <laughs> close to such a small town situation. So they probably got a bit more privacy than, than I did. Um and then, so I grew up there for a while. I came to school in America for one year when I was 11 uh, to a boarding school um, in Cleveland, actually. Uh, and then I moved back after after one year. I think I was just sort of a bit lonely. Um, and uh, after that, I lived in a few other places. I lived in uh, Clacton-on-Sea, which is like a seaside town, kind of like, um, it's probably comparable to Coney Island or something. It's a bit of a dying place, but, you know, (laughs) all the British people have access to to Europe these days. So there's, you know, it's not special to go to the seaside towns in in England anymore. Um, And then I moved with some friends when I was about 16 um, in uh, Bedfordshire. Yeah, I've lived in a lot of places in England. (laughs) Okay, so I'm kind of hearing, so it sounds like at some point your parents um, split up and your dad must have come over to the U.S. and and relocated to the lovely Columbus, Ohio area. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. So my my dad and my dad split and my mum split up when I was a baby. So I didn't meet my dad until I was seven. Um, but, but she remarried and, and that's, um, that's why I have a brother and sister. uh, So that's, that's how that worked. (laughs) Got it. Okay. Um, well that's actually really cool and interesting because from what I hear from a lot of people whose parents break up when they're really young, who don't have contact with them early is that they Uh never develop contact with them. So, So this is really cool. Like at some point, you know, you're seven, it sounds like you, uh, you started to develop a relationship with your dad. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad is a good person. It's not, it wasn't one of these sort of, I think my parents just figured out that they, um, didn't get along (laughs) really. And so they did the best thing. And I don't feel like, you know, I think, if you're if you're if you were seven and your parents split up, you would notice the absence of your dad or your mum or whoever is ending up looking after you. I don't remember feeling when I was when I was a child that I was missing, you know, some critical person. <laughs> you know, yeah, I wasn't yeah. feeling like, oh, I really wish that I had a dad. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, oh, I think yeah. I was sort of 
cool. Yeah. Me and mom. Cool. You know, <laughs> and it, it sounds like though she had another, she got married again. So did you know from the beginning yeah. that that wasn't your biological dad? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was, I was older, old enough at that point. I think my sister was probably born around the time I was seven or some or so. So they, they probably met when I was five or six or something like that. Yep. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Something around that. And, and it also sounds like you were really independent because you said at 16, you moved with a bunch of friends. Yeah. So um, in England, it's a little bit different from the US. You, you do graduate from high school at 16. Now, if you're smart and you're in a good sort of stable home situation, you would, you would stay at home and go to do your A-levels, which are like the last two years of, of high school in, in US. I think that's probably kind of comparable. Um, and then you would go to, to college and university after that. I essentially skipped my A-levels and I went into, um, into a trade. I went into floristry. Um, so I can, I can do flowers for your wedding, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, so I did that for two years instead of doing my A-levels. Um, and so, uh, so I, I was able to do that and, and sort of live, uh, live away from, from, uh, from anyone because I was able to sort of do the, the training for it, but I was also getting paid for it. So it kind of worked itself out that way. Wow. Okay. So floristry. So, I mean, I understand the concept of getting into the trades for sure. What drew oh. you to that trade in particular, especially at a young age? Like, did you actually know what you wanted to do? I don't know that I did, honestly. I think I was just, you know, I, um, I was living with an aunt in, in Clacton-on-Sea um, for a few years for high school. And I knew that I did not want to stay in that town because it was, you know, it's a bit run down and um, the prospects aren't great. And I sort of had some friends that were living in this other place from, from when I had previously lived there. And so I sort of made the decision to, to make a move um, across the country to sort of stay closer to some people that I, some, some old friends actually that, that I'm still very close with. Um, and to, so that I could just be around people that, you know, really um, I connected with, I guess. Um, and I don't think I regret that decision going forward. It, it's definitely, it definitely steered me more in an artistic direction, I would say, because I was really, um, I was already kind of, you know, artistically inclined, but I, that, that definitely moved me, you know, away from math and science. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, so. what's, you know, what's funny is that like at that age, when you're suddenly faced with like, I can kind of pick what I want to do and maybe have some fun. You're not usually driven by like, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? You're driven by like, mm -hmm. Maybe I can party a little, or maybe there's a boy that's interesting, or a girl, or you know, whatever. Um, did you like have fun during those years too, or have any like meaningful relationships during that time? I that was that was such a difficult time for a couple of reasons. One of the reason I think was that you know a lot of kids at sixteen are like safely, you know, in, in the parents' house and the, and the parents are kind of like, um, you know, the backup plan <laughs> kind of thing. You know, you're, you feel comfort at home um, and, and, and people are sort of pushing you in the direction of trying to do something positive with your life, like, 
you know, they're physically in your space telling you, <laughs> go to school, <laughs> that kind of thing. So I think that 16, for, ev- for everyone, it's a little bit young to, to sort of be on your own and just making life decisions. Having said that, you know, I, I did grow up quite a lot in those years. Um, the other thing was that I think, you know, by, I was, by the time I was 15 or 16, I was, I was very stressed out with, with life situations, right? So I actually had rheumatoid arthritis, which, which is a strange thing to have as a young person. Um, and I think that we would, we would classify it as like juvenile at this point because I don't really have it anymore. Um, but, but when I made the decision to go to college in, in America, um, which is what I kind of did at 18, it was a little bit because, um, you know, I was having this conversation with my dad and he was like, I really want you to see like really good doctors here. And I just can't make that happen in the UK because, you know, in, in England that it's a, it's a sort of, um, you, you see the, the public health system and someone will refer you and eventually you'll get an, an appointment and, you know, they'll, they'll go through it's, you know, um, sometimes money wins when it comes to healthcare. <laughs> so, so it was a little bit of a deal with my dad. He said, cause I said to him, you know, instead of doing this floristry thing, which is really exhausting, you're on your feet all day and you have to sort of carry heavy things and you're, get your hands in the water, you're cold and wet all the time, which is kind of the opposite of what you need if you've got some kind of uh, rheumatoid thing. <laughs> so he, he made a deal with me sort of to say, if you come to, to school in America, instead of, you know, doing whatever graphic design degree you want to do in the UK, I will pay for it. And if you don't, I won't. <laughs> My dad's a sort of smart guy like that. <laughs> So, um, so I, so I thought about that for a long time. Actually, I wasn't really sure I wanted to give up my my newfound independence, you know. Um, and we didn't know each other that well at that point. So, so yeah, that's that's kind of how I landed up in America. <laughs> so you ended up saying, "All right, you win. I'm coming." Or did it yeah. just get so bad that you felt like you had to take the step? Well, I, I mean, it, it was pretty bad, and I knew that I couldn't continue doing floristry because it's it's if you're not unless you own a florist shop, you it's 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 manual labor pretty much. It's it's lot it's not as as cute as it as it looks. <laughs> so um, so I, I sort of knew that that I had to do something else, and I was looking at colleges for graphic design actually in our sort of local area. And trying to figure out how I would work to sort of pay some rent and, and go to college at the same time. And so my dad was like, that's that's a little bit insane. But if you're actually going to go to college and, and, and do it, I really want you to do it here so that I can help. Because, you know, England is just too far away, honestly, for me to be, a, you know, to be able to sort of help you go through the, the, the doctors and all that stuff. But I yeah. think he, you know, had been living here for a long time at that point, And he was just really convinced that coming to college in America would just be a really a much better thing for me to do than to even, you know, go to one of these programs in the UK. Um, and he was probably like, well, he was probably right, actually, you know, I think um, college is a big deal here. And in a way that it's not, it wasn't in England when I was growing up. Um, 
and they just put a lot of emphasis on it. You make a lot of connections. You meet all your, you know, all your future friends, all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, the, the there's definitely a thread here that I want to hit on. I want to come back to actually about like the college experience. But mm-hmm. before we do, let's talk a little bit more about rheumatoid arthritis because. It's fairly common, but I don't know that much about it. Like, why does it hit? How does it manifest? How do you clear it up? Maybe you can educate people a little bit about your experience. Well, I think that my experience was a little bit unique in in the sense that I think when, you know, usually if you get rheumatoid arthritis, you're quite a bit older. And a lot of people get some kind of um, some kind of arthritis at some point in their life you'll you'll meet a lot of people that you know in, in their old age that have like osteoarthritis um, just because they're older and they've used their joints a lot and and you know the more you use your joints the more that you know it wears on you it's um it's definitely a problem of old age rather than of, of being young um, I think you know, looking back on it, I, you know, I went through all of these tests and, and I didn't have the RH factor, which is the thing that, that sort of says 100% yes, this is rheumatoid. But I did have all the other symptoms and, and you know, swelling and the joints and, you know, st- all the stiffness and the different problems. What, so how, so for people listening who might be like, I might have it. What, what <laughs> other symptoms are there? You said swelling and stiffness. What else? Um, gosh, I don't know. I think, uh, I think it's, it's just like slightly different for everyone. Um, and there's lots of different things that are very similar to, to rheumatoid arthritis. There's, um, you know, so it's kind of a spectrum thing, I think also. So, you know, there's, there's a couple of different, um, a couple of different, uh, manifestations of the same disease, I guess. So I, I, yep. I don't know how it is for, for everyone else, but I definitely had sort of really sort of bloated, swollen fingers and, and hips and ankles and all kinds of things. It was very, it was pretty disturbing as a young person. I, I think, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure now that looking back on it, that it was stress related. I think your brain can do a lot to sort of determine what your body's doing, um, and I, you know, doing that sort of uh, laborious work at the florist where I'm like, you know, freezing cold and putting buckets of water and cutting branches with shears and stuff like that. That kind of thing is is obviously not good once you once you have that kind of a problem. Yeah. Um, and were, were you but, in pain, too? Yeah, yeah, it was that I think that was that's the that's the thing that's debilitating about it. Not so much that you're stiff and you're, you know. Um, it's just that you're uncomfortable all day long and, and you can't eventually I was really struggling to walk up the stairs and stuff like that and so I thought man I just don't know why <laughs> why is this happening to me this is so cruel <laughs> well yeah especially so young and and when you're in that kind of chronic pain too I mean there's no way that it doesn't affect your mental outlook like I would imagine you had some depression or a level of being depressed from time to time. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's it's when when you're in pain, like it's very difficult to to think about other things. I think that's a pretty common thing. And 
Um, I mean, I don't, I don't say that, I mean, I don't suppose it's like the same thing as having sort of an, an accident and having, you know, really extreme pain. But if you have some kind of pain, it's always like, it's always there at the back of your mind. It's very, very respectful of people that are able to sort of, you know, be pleasant <laughs> anyway, even though they're, you know, obviously in a lot of pain um, uh, with an injury or with just a, with a, a long-term condition. I think some people handle that a lot better than, than others. <laughs> I, I don't know if, which camp I would, would be in. And certainly not, um, certainly, I don't think I was pleasant all the time for sure. <laughs> So, so did you get the treatment in the United States and start to work on solving it? Yeah. So I, I went, I went to a rheumatologist. Um, I went to, to do a bunch of different things in the UK as well. I, 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 but by the time I got here, I went to see a rheumatologist and she gave me sort of various drugs to sort it out. Um, but eventually I started to like wean myself off the medicines and I, um, I started just running which sounds really counterintuitive, but one of the things that I learned from the um, from the physio that I was doing with the doctor anyway was that you've really got to strengthen the muscles around the joints, and it's the same thing when you're sort of training for you know for anything else. If you want to become really good at at, at anything that physical, I think you have to to strengthen the muscles before you you know. Um, like, like if you're training for, for run, to become a really good runner, for instance, you, you would do other, you know, workout things other than just running to, to sort of get your body in shape so that your joints could handle that, that stress of like a, a long run or something. So, um, so I started doing a combination of, of like running and then also just a little bit of weight training and, and strengthening the joints, the things that the doctor had recommended um, and I think by the time I finished college, I mean, it took a long time to sort of get to really get into it and, and become and realize, honestly, that that was what was fixing it rather than just, um, you know, causing more damage. Um, and so, yeah, by the time I finished college, I was a lot I was a lot better. I wasn't taking any medicine anymore. Um, when after I moved to New York, I, I really started exercising more seriously. I think I just kind of at one point realized that I was just, I was feeling fine and I hadn't, you know, done anything special to, to create those circumstances. So, um, so yeah, I think I, I think I exercised it away in, in a way. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I feel like you learned something that I think is very uh, valuable as an entrepreneur, which is you don't give up. Like keep working yeah. on it, even when you're not sure if it's working, keep going because eventually it's either going to click or not. But if you give up too soon, you'll never know. Yeah. And, and so one of the things that was, was a consequence of that, honestly, is that now I, um, I don't like to not work out for more than a week ever because I'm like afraid that it'll come back. <laughs> which is kind of a strange motivator, but it's been, <laughs> it's been okay. <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. And I mean, a week for a lot of people, that's nothing. But for people who have found what exercise brings to your life uh -huh. beyond the physical, I mean, a week is a long time. So I totally, I get it for sure. So today you still work out, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I and do. I'm what do you do? optimal shape right now but that's okay do you <laughs> run still? 
Um, I, I haven't been running as much. I've been doing a lot of Peloton. My, my building has a Peloton bike, um, and I sort of discovered that um, last year, and it's, it's quite addictive, I have to say. Um, I, I really like that. I mean, I, I like that it forces you to continue um, and sort of motivates you to just work a lot harder than you would normally, I would say. Um, yeah, for sure. So tell, uh, I think a lot of listeners will know what Peloton is, but some people may not. So maybe you can share what that looks like. Okay. Um, so it's a, it's a live streaming, uh, bike class, sort of like a spin class with a, with a television in front of you that has, um, either you can do a live class or you can do a class that they've pre-recorded. Um, and it sort of tallies up how many rides you've done and, and how, how good you're doing compared to your last ride or compared to the other people riding in the class with you. Um, it's, it's like, it's, they've, they've executed it very well. I think, um, I am not a person that likes to go to group classes, but, um, but it is really good to sort of be in a group class environment without having to time it perfectly or to sort of leave your, your building (laughs) essentially. Um, so I, I think they've done that. They've done that really well. Yeah. Well, and you made a comment that I think might lead a little bit into your life as an entrepreneur today, but you said, I'm really not in optimal shape right now. And I thought to myself, <laughs> I can't remember the last time I thought I was in optimal shape. It was before I started my business because, you know, you're doing something that's incredibly cool and is taking up a lot of the bandwidth that you have in your in your life, right? So now it's like, oh my gosh, the luxury of just working out whenever I want. You're like fitting in workouts. Right? Yeah, yeah, it, exactly. It, it's 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 um, I really enjoy working out. I consider it to be like um, what I would do on my off time <laughs> instead of it's not really a chore. It's like I really want to go. I really want to make this workout happen. Where can I fit it in? Um, it's yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a luxury to and I, I used to do sort of uh, long runs on the West side highway in New York, which is kind of nice. You can, you can sort of look out at the skyline of, of New Jersey. Um, and it's, it's just, it's pretty. And I don't remember the last time I've done, done like, you know, spent two hours to go for a long run because it's, you know, it's, it's hard to make that fit that in on a regular basis and you have to do it on a regular basis. Otherwise you just can't do it. You know, you won't be in the right sort of shape for it. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> so let's uh, let's let's uh, change topic and talk about your company. So first of all, can you say and pronounce the name? Sure. Um, it's Transience, which is um, it basically means uh, to 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 sort of. That, well, the technical meaning could be quite dark, but we, we've translated it to mean that, you know, it's about sort of a life on the move and not staying in one place for too long. And um, because we're all quite transient beings, we, we kind of um, move through our lives in, in a way that, you know, we, we sort of change and evolve and, you know, we're no longer what we once were. But, but also just, you know, we move through our days quite quite in quite sort of rapid 
in a quite rapid way these these days because we've just got so much going on and we've got to manage like you know a transient life <laughs> so that's where the name came from it, it's it's been a bit of an education to sort of to to sort of people have trouble pronouncing it but it's it's a true word it's it's not a made up word well, and I love the way you've translated it. Um, it does kind of encompass our, our you know, how, how we, how our brand is positioned. So, yeah. Well, and it reminds <laughs> me a little bit of, you know, you, you, when you were young, you didn't live here, you know, you've take you've traveled a lot, in a sense, <laughs> to get where you are today, like figuratively and literally. So what, like, at what point did you realize, did the light bulb go off and you were like, I'm not a florist, I'm not a graphic designer, or maybe you still are, you know, I'm going to start a business. Do you remember, did you have an, a, like an epiphany moment? Well, um, so I, I studied industrial design in college, um, in Columbus, in Ohio, and, um, uh, this is just how I got into doing handbags in the first place. Um, <laughs> and when I finished school, I thought, you know, I really, I can't stay here anymore. I, I just, I don't, I think I've gotten all the growth that I'm going to get out of this place. I want to move to somewhere a bit more, you know, happening and diverse. And so um, there are a lot of really good industrial design firms in Columbus, actually, because of that college that's there. And it's, it's a, it's a good program for that. But there are not a lot of industrial design firms in New York. Um, so I put together a, a, a sort of portfolio of, of, um, of handbags, knowing nothing about handbags or fashion, um, but, but knowing that I could, you know, make, create three-dimensional things. Um, and so, and a lady uh, sort of, I put it on the, on the internet, on some uh, style jobs website, and, and somebody hired me and she said, you know, I, I'll have a phone call with you. I can't fly you out here because this is an entry-level position and we just don't have that kind of cash. <laughs> but you sound normal and you're obviously qualified to, to sketch things. So why don't you come to live in New York? And so I, I, I worked in that job for a while. This was in 2008. And, um, and the economy tanked that year. <laughs> And I was sort of the last man standing in my in my office after that experience. Um, so so which is okay, except that I was you know really underqualified because I was an entry level person. I think they just kept me because um, I was the cheapest person in the room. <laughs> so what did this company do? What was it they, called? So they did. Um, they made sort of handbags for other brands. So, um, you know, in, if you buy a, if you buy a, I want to get the right kind of brand. If you buy a bag in Macy's and it's got like Calvin Klein on the front, right? Um, that bag was probably not designed by someone in Calvin Klein. I'm not hundred percent sure about this one. I was just using it as an example, but, but a lot of times they'll sort of outsource the design of that stuff to other and, and manufacturing to other companies, um, sort of like a private label type type gig. Yep, okay. So I worked in um in one of those sort of companies in New York that did bags for a few different designers. Um and we and so so yeah, by the time <laughs> by the time we were I was sort of the last person there, um they they merged the company with another company. Um 
you know, to sort of keep things, keep things going. And I, I was like, yeah, I think I really, I think I really have to move so that I'm not in such a vulnerable position. So I, I, you know, I went and I found another job uh, working for these two entrepreneurs um, who, who didn't survive because not all small businesses survive, unfortunately. Um, and so, and I was just sort of the designer there doing cosmetic bags for them. Actually, they had this idea to make really cool cosmetic bags that were, you know, um, they just sort of thought that that was a, a gap in the market. And at, at that point, it kind of was. It was so that was going pretty well. Um, but I went from a very entry level position to sort of running a, a small design department in in sort of the face in like one or two years. Um, yeah, so that was probably around 2010 or something. But I think at that point, <laughs> I was just working all the time, like you do in New York. You you get this, you get a job, and then you you work there from from early in the morning until it's already dark outside, and you do that every single day <laughs> until you're completely exhausted. <laughs> that's how that's how people do it in big cities, I think. Um, but yeah, so the I guess the from from that point, I was uh, I, I remember that it was it was the summer, and um, and I was sitting in a super air conditioned office um, with my fingerless gloves on, <laughs> working on handbag specs, just like freezing, um, because you know how it is in in these office buildings. There's like there's some dude in the corner office, and he's wearing a suit and he's hot because the sun is shining in <laughs> and he cranks the air conditioning and everyone else freezes. Um, <laughs> and I just thought, man, this is the worst. And I just, I just don't want to be at the mercy of someone else's air conditioning, designing things that I really don't particularly care for, <laughs> which I mean, all of this is just such first world problems, right? I mean, it's like, what a spoiled child. <laughs> so <laughs> Um, so yeah, that, I think that was the first time where, where I, moment where I was like, I, I really, I really could be doing something like this by myself, um, and not, and not be, be working 24 hours a day. How naive of me to think that, <laughs> um, and just, you know, just be a little bit more in control of the circumstances because, um, I think, you know, when you're working in fashion, um, it probably like other industries, it's you you put in a lot of hours and you put up with all kinds of, of abuse from people, which is, you know, just kind of um it's kind of a standard thing somehow. Um but which is fine. I mean I, I feel like I can I can put up with that sort of thing. But I just I was really like I, I can't free, be this cold all day long every day <laughs> for the whole summer. This is horrible. <laughs> Your rheumatoid arthritis was going to come back. Oh, geez. <laughs> you know, what's funny about this, too, is like there are at least two things you said that you had this idea that. I don't want to work 24 hours a day anymore. And I want to be more in control of the circumstances. And I heard both of those and I was like, well, being an entrepreneur <laughs> doesn't solve those two things necessarily. It does not. <laughs> but so when did you realize like you had a vision for your own bags? Like when did that happen? So, so yeah, after that experience, I, I mean, I, I worked with them for, for 
some time um, and they uh, they got shut shut down I, they got their funding pulled basically and at that point I started to do projects for other people I was a consultant for a while um, which kind of, which taught me a lot of um, of this you know how when you're an entrepreneur and, and you're and your rent is basically on the line. If you don't make it work, then, you know, you can, you don't have any money to, to buy, you know, food and things. Yes. <laughs> so I, 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 think I, I think I got over that, that the, the, um, the turbulence of that kind of thing by, by doing these contracting projects for, for other people where I collected a lot of clients. And, and I think at one point I was, I was sort of doing some projects for a client and they were just making a ton of money off of the work that I was doing, you know, cause obviously if you hand it over to, to Walmart and then they turn it into a big collection thing and I'm like, man, that took me so little effort to create that sketch. And, and that's, you know, that just made them a, a lot of money. You know, I, I bet that I could do this um, again, really naive. <laughs> I definitely feel, you know, as a like having done this for, for a few years that it would have really served me to stay in, in the business for longer and learn different aspects of, of you know, what it took to run a business. Uh, fashion label um but but yeah I think sometimes that that helps if you're kind of like you know I can do this <laughs> if you don't know that you can't do things it sometimes you know assists you to just get moving with it instead of being like um uh you know to sort of feeling like you know thinking of all the reasons why it won't work out I think I was you know more on the I can do anything <laughs> uh, page yeah. thing yeah, um, well, and I think really, that's absolutely necessary when you're getting something lofty off the ground. I really uh -huh. do. I was making a note to ask you, you mentioned being naive a few times. Like, do you think that helped you or hurt you? And I think you just said it. It actually helped you. You, you can't know everything beforehand or you might not do it. Right, right, exactly. I mean, I, I, think, I think both for sure. Um, I've definitely learned some expensive lessons. <laughs> by not knowing things that I probably, you know, could have known if I'd stayed in the industry for longer and, and learned under somebody else's dollar, which is kind of what I recommend to people these days is that, you know, get as much experience as you can so that you don't make stupid mistakes. Um, but, but, you know, I, I think for me, it was, a, it was, it worked out well that I, that I made that leap too early because I, I might have been more like, oh man, this is going to be really hard <laughs> otherwise yeah. and then not done it. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think what I was seeing was that, you know, there's, you know, I did not see, I did not, I was designing a lot of things that I, that I wasn't really like happy with. I mean, you know, the client was happy. They got kind of what they asked for and, you know, it sold well, all the, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but I was looking at the stuff and being like, man, it's kind of ugly though. I don't know why, why does everything have to be ugly? <laughs> Which again, that's that's very like um, your own opinion, right? I mean, not everyone's going to like the same things that you like. Um, but I, but I thought, you know, really, the the perfect bag would be kind of functional and and chic, and not, you know, like you you don't have to make functional things look ugly, you know, just because you want people to know that they're functional. You, you could you could combine that somehow and and you know, people might love it. <laughs> um, again, <laughs> uh, 
not everyone is is kind of like you so you have to you have to make adjustments along the way to kind of figure out what your customers actually want in the end but but yeah we and which which we've done a lot we've done a lot of uh, changing the course to sort of fit the people that are interested in our products in the end. So yeah. you've been going since 2013, making chic, functional, cute bags, right? Uh, and, yeah, kind um, of. <laughs> so what, what did you start with one style? We, um, we have... We have changed a lot in, since 2013. Um, one of the things that we we, we started with, uh, we started making some sort of these leather bags that were um, that were really kind of sh- sort of chic and different. And um, you know, we would we we also started just by by making everything in our office. Well, before we had an office, we made everything in my apartment, which was kind of funny. <laughs> we, I was living in a in sort of a luxury building downtown. Luxury building, they just mean that they have elevators and, and a gym and, and stuff like that in New York when they say luxury building. Um, so we, we moved in over the course of probably two years. I, I moved in three different sewing machines um, we had these two cutting tables, but you know, and we, I had like a lot of leather with on the shelves and stuff like that. Um, so they must've been kind of like, whoa, <laughs> when I moved out with all of this, uh, equipment for manufacturing essentially. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we started it. I started it from my apartment and we used to manufacture everything in New York um, and I, I thought that, you know, that would be really the future of things because, because it, it is really nice to, to, to make something, to physically make something and then, and then, you know, sell it to someone and hand it to them. And, and you know, we learned a lot about how to make bags from, from that experience. And I'm saying we, um, because Som, our production, my production manager has been with me since for for a long time, she was not the first person that I hired, but she I did hire her while I was functioning out of that apartment, um, and um, and so at, when we started the business, she had a good idea about how bags were constructed, but but I really didn't, and so you know we would sort of make these unusual uh, silhouettes and and figure out how to construct them and then she would sort of make them with the help of a a few other people that we hired to sort of you know stitch things together and and glue things down and um and so we you know we got to a point with it we moved out of that the apartment once we sort of we found an office location and we were starting to get a bit busier and we were starting to sort of do some pop-up shops and, and hire some more people. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know if we can have that many strangers in my apartment. It's a studio. <laughs> and, um, and so we, we moved into an office in Chinatown. Um, and, and from there we started to get sort of some much bigger orders because that it was at that point, I think that we were approached to make, we were making these leather gym bags and leather um, carryalls and iPad cases that were that were all really expensive because they're handmade in, in New York. 
um, from leather. <laughs> um, and then we were approached by sort of one of the budding activewear companies to convert one of our leather gym bags into like a real gym bag. Um, and so I said, okay, that's interesting. We, we can certainly try that. Why not? Right. I mean, that'll be fun. <clears throat> and, um, that was in 2015. I think for the first like year or two, we were really just learning how to make things. I mean, well enough that we could sort of sell them to people with confidence and, and not waste a ton of money doing it. Um, and then by the time that, that kicked off, which was, which was really just after we moved into that office, it was sort of like, it was like a, a, a bizarre thing actually, because, you know, we really would not have been able to make as many bags as they required from my apartment, you know, but almost as soon as we moved into the office, that's when that happened. It was sort of like a, a wow, you know, maybe the universe is listening to us kind of thing. Um, and then, and then, yeah, we, we got into a point sort of at that Christmas that year, the holidays that year, where we were just like, man, we, we can't, we can't make enough of these bags. Like we really have to figure out how to manufacture them, you know, somewhere where we're not up at three in the morning painting the edges of the, of the card cases and things like that. We were like, you know, working in shifts and sleeping in the, in, you know, in the office. It was really <laughs> not a good situation. So one of the things about New York is that it's just, it's kind of, it's difficult to find um, qualified uh, people in the manufacturing sector, you know, um, people that can sew really well, or, you know, people that know how to cut out a piece of leather correctly, like this kind of thing. It's actually really hard to scale up, um, the, a, a manufacturing business because there, there's not enough people to hire that, that are qualified. You know, you can't pull someone off the street and say, here, um, cut this piece of leather in a perfectly straight line. <laughs> you know, like you can't teach that in a, in a month or two, you gotta, you gotta learn that over a, a period of, you know, 10, 15 years. It's sort of like a, a practice. It's like a trade. So, so we really were, we were really struggling, um, to, to find people that would, would help us, you know, with that. Um, and at the time our production manager, Sol was going overseas, um, to visit her family for the holidays. And she said, let me, let me see if I can find a factory in, in Bangkok that will make us 50 bags or something, right? That would just take the pressure off a little bit. And I said, yeah, go for it. I mean, otherwise we have to just turn the order down, right? We can't make it. It's physically impossible. <laughs> so, um, so she found a factory and, and that, that's how our, that's how we moved overseas essentially was cause we were like, wow, these guys are doing a much better job than we can do here in our Chinatown office. Like, honestly, <laughs> they're really skilled workers. Um, and, and, you know, the price is a lot better, obviously. I mean, the shipping is, is kind of horrendous as you probably know, having your own business. I don't know if you, do you manufacture overseas? We do actually. Yes. We do not manufacture in China, but we are in other countries in Asia. So yeah, 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's it, you know what I, like, I'm thinking about as you're telling the story, like, this is growing pains. This is not mm-hmm. a bad thing, you know, yeah. and, and it's hard because there's this sort of pressure or philosophy that it'd be great if you could be, like, made in the USA, but yeah. it's not necessarily a financial reality or a logistical reality if you yeah. want to stay in business. So I totally understand this uh, path you've taken. Yeah. And I, I, you know, there's part of me that would like to bring some of it back to New York, but it's really, it's, it's quite difficult. I think, I think, I don't know that people are necessarily willing to, to spend the extra money to put down extra money for products that are made in the U S yet. I mean, I, I would like to, think that that some people are but I don't know if it makes for like a sustainable business model which is it's really it's kind of unfortunate I guess in that sense but um but yeah it's 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 really hard and it's if you find a good factory it's really competitive to keep them because you know those guys are are doing everyone's stuff (laughs) because other people also found out that they were good so, so yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a bit tough, but our, our people in our factory in Bangkok are, are like super awesome. Like I went mentioned, they were just a lot more qualified to make bags than we were even after our short two years of uh, handbag experience. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it's a family run factory. Um, they treat their people fairly. Solm is there, you know, half the year at this point she's always in the factory with the sample makers like bossing them around which is pretty unusual (laughs) they don't usually let your team members in to like you know help out with things or to tell tell them how they want it done so that that's kind of amazing but I think you know and um obviously I don't speak Thai um but she does and I I trust that she wouldn't set us up with people that aren't you know hundred percent on, on top of their stuff, you know, like they, and so, and I think it's less of a problem, um, you know, in Thailand and in some of the other Asia countries rather than China to sort of, um, you know, the abuse of workers and, and children working and stuff like that. It's there. I think they're a little bit more, um, they're more aware in Thailand that, that, you know, that's not cool. And that, you know, money is not the answer to everything. So, um, so yeah. Well, it sounds like, too, you know, you've realized that relationships are really important. And, you know, you're not just going to cold call and a factory is going to do your production. I mean, you oh. you guys went over there, you know. What, and her name's Psalm? Psalm. Her name is... Um, it's Psalm Boraporn. Oh, <laughs> so wow. Yes. Yeah, so Psalm went over there and she's over there frequently. And I mean, that's what it takes to get uh-huh. stuff done properly. And I have one yeah. of your beautiful swing bags and the craftsmanship is fantastic. And I mean, you need to have expert people who can work on those fine details. And like you said, um, you know, you need to go where that kind of labor exists. So, and the culture over there is amazing too, around, you know, how they work together and, and the community that's built around these small factories. So I totally understand, you know, where you're coming from. 
in tune with the work-life balance, you know, oftentimes I'll say, can you get this done by this time? And they're like, no, <laughs> straight up. No, <laughs> like, I have to have a two hour yeah. lunch and take care of my kids. And well, and let's talk about yeah. that for a minute. So work-life balance, I mean, it's kind of a trendy thing to talk about, but how are you a work to live kind of girl or a live to work kind of girl? Or have you found that middle ground? Um, I have not found a middle ground. I mean, I, I do, I, my middle ground is that I'll work really hard for some time and then I'll, you know, take a, take a full day off or something, you know, it's, it's not, I'm, I think it's very difficult to do balance over a long period of time. I mean, if you, if you want certain things, I'm, I mean, maybe I'm just really bad at balancing things. But, but what I've found is that it's easier for me to work really hard for a number of days in a row and then, you know, just take, take, a, take a half a day or something to just, like, fully relax rather than trying to, you know, make my balance happen on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> well, that's – I mean, everybody has a different approach. So, in a sense, you're balancing. You're just doing it in bigger rest chunks. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. and – and you do have a big relationship in your life. I mean, you got married, was it last year? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got married in August. Um, and he's uh, wonderful and extremely patient. I mean, he uh, he works a regular kind of a job in, in finance. And he has sort of relatively normal hours. Um, but he just kind of ignores me and lets me work on stuff when I need to. <laughs> he's really yeah pretty pretty flexible with me which is kind of exactly what you need out of a life partner yes Um, absolutely yeah yeah so and in our previous uh you know conversation you had mentioned that you got married in india and it was sort of an exercise in pushing your level of comfort you know maybe you can talk a little bit about what you learned from that and how you use that Sure. I mean, so, so, um, so these days I've, I've been sort of thinking about life in a, you know, just if you're a little uncomfortable with things, then you should just kind of, you should just kind of let go and lean into it. I mean, unless it's a life and death situation, nothing really bad will happen to you. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and I, and I have some discomfort about all kinds of things right I mean because we're, we're all a product of our of our upbringing and you know of our life so far so um I'm pretty antisocial at times not antisocial I would say I'm introverted right so um but India you, you there's no option to be an introvert like there are a lot of people they want to show you a lot of love <laughs> you, you know you can't um you can't sort of hide away from that. There's, it's just, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta be okay with it. You just gotta go, go with the flow and, you know, wear whatever they want you to wear and put the jewelry on and, and, you know, just be a little uncomfortable and be fine with it, you know? Oh, I love that. Put the jewelry on and be uncomfortable. (laughs) And did you give everybody a bag or at least a fanny pack, a camera bag? (laughs) where our styles are so not aligned, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you'll have a future um, India-inspired collection. Um, oh, we are running down our time, which is so, so cool. What I wanted to share is that transience is 
um, doing a really cool What's in Her Bag series, and I'm one of the people who's being highlighted. So um, we'll put a link in the show notes to the little you know blip that I did for you guys. And on the flip side, you're offering a really awesome steep discount to my listeners, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so so if you if you want to buy a bag from us, if you like our bags, um, then you can get thirty percent off uh, with a Nicole Deboom discount, um, and the code will be uh, Nicole thirty. Nicole 30. Wouldn't that be nice if that was my age? Nope. That's (laughs) not my age anymore, but that's cool. So you're going to go over to transients.com and Nicole 30 is the discount code, 30% off. Um, I have the swing bag. It's a black mesh with the pink, like hot pink, cute little like um, pulleys and zipper. Mm -hmm. And I love it. Super, super awesome quality. And it was really good timing that you guys reached out to me because I literally had still been using this really old sort of like utilitarian functional diaper bag (laughs) for the gym that kind of like was just this sort of big bag, but it's like a leftover from when my kid was a baby and she's seven. So I needed an upgrade. (laughs) So I'm going to encourage everyone to check out your stuff. I love it. But before we go, um, I'm just going to ask you the question I ask everyone who comes on the show, which is if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Um, well, I'm, I'm not sure I'm in a position to hand out advice, but um just like I said, to sort of to to lean into things that you're afraid of that, that make you feel uncomfortable, you know, just get out of your head and just do do things that you wouldn't normally do. You, you'll end up learning a lot and, and things will be fine. And um, and and yeah, this I mean, especially if the especially if the thing you're uncomfortable with is sort of would make other people feel happy because there's really nothing better than than, you know, just. Um, having great memories with people because you are being, you know, accommodating, I guess. Um, oh, I love and, it. You, uh, might, you might actually be the nicest person in the world. You are definitely <laughs> worthy of handing out advice. You, I can completely see how your entire path has led you to where you are today. And I'm really excited to see where you go from here. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is a lovely first podcast, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully we can do it again. <laughs> I, and again, I'm happy to be your first timer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, I am back. I hope you enjoyed learning more about one woman's path to her purpose. I believe that while our past informs our present, it doesn't define us or confine us. And Sarah Clarkson is a shining example of a woman who has overcome obstacles, continues to pursue her dreams each day by leaning into the things that she's afraid of. How's that for an awesome message today? All right, everyone, that's where I'm going to leave you. I think you know what time it is. It's time to get out there, run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.